I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, Rise Together listeners. Dave here. After an exciting launch week, we have yet another preview chapter from Built Through Courage on this, the next episode of the Rise Together podcast. In change, this constant that exists in life being a thing that you can absolutely count on, whether it's change that you choose or change that chooses you, identity is one of those things that's likely to shift when you experience it. And so this chapter really dives into how you might process who you are now that you're no longer who you've been. I hope that you enjoy this sneak peek of Built Through Courage. If you are interested, we are every day for the next 40 days doing a Built Through Courage book club. That's right. Every morning at 7 a.m. Pacific, 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern, we're getting together on my Instagram live feed and my Facebook live feed for a conversation about each chapter of this book. I'm going to read plenty of the book tell some additional stories around the stories in the book, have some conversation through Q&A during each of the day's conversations. And we're also making available absolutely free for anyone who's interested in joining the club, a 65-page PDF workbook of journaling prompts and questions to have you turn what is obviously going to be something of a passive listening experience into also an active learning experience. If you're interested, head over to mrdavehollis.com forward slash book club and join us now. We are just starting up. We just started up this week, so it's not too late to join. I'd love to see you there. Without further ado, please enjoy this week's episode all about identity, a chapter, a series of chapters out of Built Through Courage. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. your identity. For more than two decades, I held roles in the entertainment business. At a family gathering or a night out with friends, 
I was known by the stories I'd tell from the experiences I had working on a popular TV show, the craziness of managing actors and recording artists, and ultimately as the guy who worked at Disney. At the end of my run at the Mouse House, as I left traditional media for an unconventional startup, the identity I'd known for so long was gone in an instant. It was jarring. Leaving your safe harbor usually is. Getting to know myself. In a similar way, for 16 years, a core part of my identity was being married, being a husband. Especially in the years after leaving Hollywood, whenever I met someone new, one of the first things I'd say in describing myself was, I'm Rachel's husband. This meant that after our divorce, I found myself again in the midst of an identity crisis, much like the stay-at-home parent whose kids leave for college or the career executive who's been downsized out of the company, out of the safe harbor yet again. Who am I now that I'm no longer who I was? Divorce wasn't something I'd ever imagined for myself, and the flood of grief I experienced when our marriage ended was overwhelming. At the time of my divorce, I had been in therapy for years, but I found that I needed someone new to help me through this particular crisis. I needed someone to help me figure out who I was now that I could no longer define myself by our marriage. I needed to find myself. In the initial intake call with David, who would eventually become my new therapist and a crucial part of my life, he described his method. I'll admit, it sounded incredibly strange to me at first. How would it feel to disclose shameful feelings to others if you could say, part of me feels, rather than I feel? What if you totally trusted that those parts were different from your true self and that you, as that self, could help them to transform? This is the approach of Internal Family Systems, IFS, a therapeutic method that helps you understand the various parts of yourself, how they work together, and how you can take control of those parts so they collaborate to drive your personal growth. This may sound a bit odd, but he was asking me to imagine that my thoughts and feelings come from totally distinct individual parts inside of me that weren't me. Setting aside how strange it sounded at first, I tried to connect to what good might be possible if I were to think of my psyche as having discrete parts. How might it change the way I thought about who I am if I were certain that my most vile thoughts about myself came from little pieces of me playing a role instead of being the core of my whole identity? As much as I get this now, when David and I first spoke, I was a mess, spinning and crying. His explanation was lost on me. My response to him was, look, I don't know who I am. I don't understand what I'm feeling, and I hate what I'm thinking. Got anything for that? 
David stayed calm and talked me down, explaining that this IFS approach was a great match for the work I was looking to do. He said it in a way that has stuck with me ever since. Imagine that you are the sun, he told me. Floating all around you are your thoughts, your inner dialogue, your emotions, and your experiences. In our analogy, these things are the clouds. When we go through a dark period where we feel like we've lost ourselves, it's because these clouds presented themselves in a way that blocked out the light for so long that we forget the sun even existed. The clouds are doing their best to protect and take care of you, but given that they aren't even aware of the sun, they find it hard to give space. However, once they start to know the sun, they create a relationship that gives them permission to relax, trusting the self can take the lead. I was intrigued and desperate. So we began our work together. It was the start of a journey that over this past year has led me to a place of peace and healing that would never have been possible otherwise. Through our sessions, I've come to understand that we all have a self and we all have parts, our thoughts, emotions, and actions. This way of understanding myself and my feelings has made me feel normal at the most abnormal time of my life. Among the most reassuring ideas behind IFS are, the self has the opportunity to act as a mediator between these various parts. Every part of ourselves, even our negative thoughts or unhealthy behaviors, is something to welcome and make a relationship with to understand what important role each part believes it is playing to keep us safe. Almost miraculously, this work has transformed the relationship I have with my thoughts and emotions from dread and frustration to gratitude for the insights they provide, even when they aren't necessarily positive or pleasant in and of themselves. By recognizing that my feelings are there to help me, but that they are not me, I am able to find courage in the midst of chaos. I am able to separate who I am from what I think or feel. IFS teaches that the self has 10 powerful qualities, the 10 C's, that enable us to take on the most challenging situations and the trickiest moving pieces of our parts. When isolated from our thoughts and feelings, the self is calm, confident, curious, clear, courageous, creative, consistent, connected, compassionate, and content. I mean, who doesn't want these characteristics on display every single day? The Four Gates of Becoming in reframing who I am and why I'm here in the midst of sea change, I also turned to some friends for their advice on how to come to grips with my new identity. My first call was to my friend, best-selling author and performance coach, Brendan Burchard. He introduced me to his four gates of becoming, awareness, acceptance, accountability, and action. Gate of Awareness 
under the headline, Know Thyself, start by asking, who am I? Not who you are to other people, but who you are at your core. This was where I first understood that I had departed from who I truly was. I had lost touch with me. In this gate, I had to become an observer of the patterns and loops, the habits and routines running my life. I took on the courage to confront the things I didn't currently like about myself, such as shame and regret, the disappointment of unkept promises I had made with myself. It's also here that I homed in on what it is that makes me proud, where my joy comes from, the times when I feel best about myself when I'm by myself. For me, the gate of awareness presented itself in the work of staying connected to who I know I am at my core, as well as the hyper-awareness of ways my humanity can discredit these truths. This duality breeds the courage to move forward because of the clarity that awareness affords. To step into who I am meant to be, I needed to connect with my foundational truths and be radically honest about how I was getting in my own way. Knowing who I am and how I'm wired keeps me focused on where I'm heading and what it will uniquely take for me to get there. Understanding the ways I might undermine the pursuit gives me a fighting chance to preemptively keep any unwanted sabotage from happening before it does. Gate of Acceptance Next comes an act of surrender. Not giving up, but letting go. Fully accepting how life is, not how we wish it could be. It was hard for me to confront how little we control, giving permission for my ego to relax. I had to accept the things that happened and appreciate that all the good that will come in my future will have been built on top of everything I learned from both the positive and negative experiences of my past. The intended outcome of this gate is to give yourself permission to just be. I had to acknowledge that I am already whole, already worthy, enough, valuable, and capable today, no matter where. No, not every circumstance in life delivers what I hope for, but things are as they are, and the challenge is to find the good in the now. In the months after leaving Disney, there were moments when I felt lost. But in leaving my career for my calling, I also felt myself found. I was overwhelmed at the prospect of mapping out a new future in the aftermath of my marriage, but also exhilarated by the prospect of creating something new and connected to who I truly am. I couldn't change my circumstances. Neither lamenting my divorce, something I did not choose, nor stressing over leaving Disney, something I did choose, would support where I was heading. Acceptance is a choice to let go of what was so that we can get to the work of what will be. Gate of Accountability Once we know where we are and accept that we're there, 
we can take our power back, the power to control our thoughts and our actions, the certainty in our ability to handle what's next, cultivating the courage required to do what it will take to manufacture the vision we have for our future. It's at the gate of accountability where you start to become the captain of your ship. It's here that you decide how you'll steer into the waves and weather the storms ahead with the mindset, habits, discipline, and community that it will take. Come face-to-face -face with the importance of having agency over your life. For me, it was important that owning the role I would play in moving forward didn't have me veering toward regret because I hadn't started sooner. Feeling shame or loathing for the chaotic state I was moving away from did not serve where I was headed. It's called becoming for a reason. It happens in time, through experience and regularly learning from mistakes in the unknown. Gate of Action Ownership acts as a catalyst for change. Having cast a new vision for where you're headed and who you have to be to get there leaves a trail of breadcrumbs for making that vision a reality every day. This is the shift that asks, now that the game moving forward has changed, how has the playbook changed? Here, you're intentionally controlling all vital energies to create alignment between who you want to be and how you show up each day. Delivering integrity in your actions today to become the person you hope to be tomorrow. The journey of becoming your true self is a process, an evolution that takes place over time and goes through the stages that require you to come to understand where you are, that you cannot change what has been, that you take accountability for what is required next, that you take the steps to actually make it happen. In your pursuit to step into your version of becoming the full you, consider how awareness, acceptance, accountability, and action will help bolster the courage you'll need for the work that lies ahead. I am not who you say I am. In this work surrounding identity that we're doing, we have to become detectives of sorts, sifting through our limiting beliefs in ourselves about who we're supposed to be and figuring out where they've come from. Only then can we put them behind us. Often when we're feeling frustrated and unfulfilled, the source of our discontent can be traced back to the gap that exists between who we are at our core and how we feel like we have to show up to get affirmation from outside sources. It's exhausting. In order to get to the bottom of it, let's start by digging down into the sources of who we think we're supposed to be. Call them rules, norms, systems, agreements, or anything else. From childhood, each of us is indoctrinated in a set of guiding principles that tell us how to be, sometimes at the expense of who we were meant to be. The challenge comes in doing the work to break free from stories that keep us in our own way or from programming that was imposed on us that contradicts our purpose. 
The goal is to replace those stories and programming with a new set of guiding principles that align with our values, passions, competencies, calling, and interest in unleashing our light into the world. We are also shaped by broader societal forces that attempt to define what success looks like, what being a good mom, a real man, or a productive member of society means. But if we recognize that these forces do not have the final say, we can begin to release ourselves from these limiting roles and claim a new identity, an identity true to who we really are and were meant to be. We don't get to choose the family we're born into, the religion we're brought up in, or the values held by those around us. But as adults, we must find the courage to question whether the rules that were put on us as children still serve us as adults, in our family, in this millennium. We have to determine whether the beliefs handed down to us align with our personal values, our future goals, and the vision of who we hope to become. This can be tricky because there is an underlying reward-punishment cycle involved in these beliefs. When we conform to our assigned roles, we're often showered with praise. But when we step out of line, we may find ourselves subjected to harsh criticism and judgment. So we must ask what good is praise and approval if it keeps us from becoming our true selves and living in line with our calling. How fulfilled can you ever really be if praise comes with a condition to deny who you really are? The only way to break free from this reward-punishment cycle is to establish a new set of beliefs, or operating principles, as I called them in my last book, that serve who we're meant to be and that are aligned with our values. Releasing yourself from what no longer serves you and establishing the principles that set you up for who you hope to become requires that you break it down in steps. One, take inventory of the beliefs that you have that are rooted in fear, that keep you docked in your safe harbor, or that make you question your worthiness of reaching for the life you deserve. As much as these may have existed from the time we were children, freedom will come in pulling them apart and leaving them behind. Two, find a way to release yourself from the power that your old limiting beliefs may hold over you by both challenging the credibility of the source and the relevance of the rule in your life today. Does the source of this belief have credibility generally? If so, does it have credibility on your specific set of circumstances? Does the belief, which may have been born and made sense in the 1970s while you were growing up in your parents' house in an era governed by different cultural norms, still have relevance in the world that you live in today? Is it relevant to your personal values? Three, Make peace with what was. You will not reap the benefits of this freedom 
If you keep yourself anchored with shame for having believed what you did or anger toward those who imposed these limitations on you, give yourself grace and with a spirit of forgiveness for the people and structures that held you back, move forward in freedom. What will this do to your kids? As you think about the things that may get in the way of your ambition to step fully into who you were meant to be, there will be plenty of times when you'll worry about the impact that heeding this call may have on the people you love most. How might your husband or wife react to you deciding to pursue something for you if the version of who you become deviates from the person that you've historically been? How might your friends react if your decision to commit to the steps necessary for unlocking your passion comes at the expense of being readily available for nightly Netflix co-binges or meetups at a bar or one of a hundred things that were nice but not necessarily using your time and energy in a way that aligned with your values to propel you forward? There will be pangs of guilt and pressures to conform to how you're supposed to be for those you're supposed to love in a certain way that was likely determined by the programming downloaded to you throughout your life. As much as we just talked about questioning the sources of that programming and challenging the credibility of the stories, structures, and frames it created in your life, it's something that is going to be particularly triggering when you think about how your decisions impact your kids. As much as we'll talk in an upcoming chapter about releasing yourself from the worry of what other people think, some of their judgment is easier to let go of than others. The worry of judgment around how we parent is among the hardest to shake. I'd love to tell you that this issue is as much a challenge for moms as it is for dads, but you know that's not the case. Mommy guilt is a corrosive, toxic poison that will undoubtedly have the women who read this book affected in a way that men have not experienced and may not even be totally conscious of. Daddy guilt, on the other hand, is, well, non-existent. Or if it does exist, it's nothing compared to the standards, expectations, and feelings that women inevitably endure. When Rachel and I were building a company to place tools in hands to help people have a better life, she got a question that I never got. The fact that she was asked over and over while I never got the question makes it worthy of a conversation here today. The question was, what will this do to your children? As in, as a woman who was listening to her intuition, following her passion, unlocking her potential in a way that might honor her creator, what would the long hours do to the kids? Though it was this very creator who intentionally filled her with these gifts, this drive, and her ambition, what would all this work, the travel, the decision to lean into the opportunity to bring her light to the world do to our children. I built a career in entertainment for 25 years, 
working hard, putting in long hours, at one point leading the international sales force that required many a visit to our 75 offices around the world. In the aftermath, I jumped into scaling the Hollis Company and found myself again following my passion, putting in the hard work and long hours, and flying from city to city. Yet I never once got asked the question. It was the byproduct of the patriarchal society that we've been raised in, the cultural expectations that are applied to one gender and not another. But in wrestling with this phenomenon, there are three big observations that I want to draw the attention of the women reading this in the hope that you don't let this double standard stop you from unlocking your gifts. Men, understanding and appreciating these three points is important for you if you are hoping to support the women you love and become accomplices in changing the broader programming in society so that the light that will come from these women can reach their intended recipients. Number one, you were born this way. The intuition, passion, drive, ambition, and everything else was placed there by design. It was not a mistake that it existed. It was intention. The whisper from the voice in your gut is trying to encourage you to honor the intention of your design, to create integrity between how you were made, the purpose for your life, and how you actually live. The world may try to talk you out of honoring the measure of your intended creation, but every day you live with the dissonance of those external voices rather than your internal one, you do so in a posture that discounts the creator and sacrifices your chances for fulfillment. Number two, any question that only applies to women but not men or to men but not women is not a question worthy of answering. That I never had the same question asked, never had to experience the discomfort of feeling guilty about pursuing my passion or unlocking my potential makes the question to Rachel a false premise. That its foundation was built on a double standard means giving weight to the answer in any meaningful way affords it credibility that it does not deserve. Number three, the entire question changes when you alter the tone of how it is being asked. When I would tell this story on stage at our conferences, I would yell as loud as I could, what will this do to our kids? As the dad of three boys, their mom following her heart and pursuing her dreams has told each of them that a woman is as entitled as a man to lead a boardroom, write New York Times best-selling books, stand on a stage in front of 10,000 people, and a hundred other things. As a dad to a young daughter, her mama's belief in herself and willingness to fully unlock the intended design of her creation gives permission for Noah to do the same. My kids will never think twice about what a woman can do because of the woman modeling 
all that's possible when you follow your heart. In the last few months, as I've trained for the Ironman, my kids have witnessed what it takes to get into the shape needed to not die on the course. When I get my running shoes on, it's not strange to have my eight-year-old Ford put his shoes on to see if he can make it on the first two miles of the loop. When I get out into the garage gym in the morning, I'm rarely working out alone because of what has become a usual routine of being followed by a small human who wants to work on his fitness too. These kids are watching us, watching what we do and absorbing it as programming for how they should be in the world. They will either take the model of you believing in yourself as the permission they need to believe in themselves, or will see the way you deny part of who you are to serve mommy guilt or play small for the worry of what good girls do and believe that's the way you're supposed to do it. And men, you can't have it both ways. You can't tell your daughter that she can be anything she believes she can be and then passive-aggressively punish your wife whose ambition to bring light into this world makes you a little uncomfortable for heeding her call. Your daughter sees both. The women in your life are light bearers. You can be an accomplice in the impact they'll make by supporting the full exploitation of their gifts and dreams. Many pieces of the double standard were created by and fueled by men over time. So if the double standard is going to go away, we're going to have to do our part to disassemble it. At the end of the day, woman or man, we're teaching these kids to listen to their intuition, follow their passion, and fully step into who they were meant to be, or we aren't. What will this do to your kids? Everything. Field of Dreams Author Nora Roberts was once asked about how she balanced work with having kids. She said, The key to juggling is to know that some of the balls you have in the air are made of plastic and some are made of glass. The implication? Some balls will drop. It's impossible to keep them all in the air all of the time because life is hard, because standards are high because unexpected seasons introduce unexpected pain. When the inevitable happens, the key is to make sure you let the right balls hit the ground. Two months into my divorce, I got an email from the commissioner of my son Sawyer's baseball league. The subject line had me shaking my head the second it hit my inbox. Coaches needed. In spite of all that I was juggling at the moment, I responded immediately. I was in. I sent it before I could think it through, before I could be reasonable or practical or sane. The old Dave would have declined. There was too much going on, too many professional responsibilities and travel, priorities for the serious stuff I'd deemed critical. These things were the glass balls that I wouldn't dare break. Or at least, that's what I told myself. And in doing so, I'd relegated coaching baseball to the plastic ball category. Here's a little secret about the balls we juggle. 
We get to decide which are plastic and which are glass. We get to decide if the priorities of our lives align with our values or those of society. We get to decide what's serious to us. So I officially became a Little League baseball coach at a time when I had no clue what my life would look like from one week to the next, I made a snap decision to prioritize something that would help me connect to who I wanted to become, an even more involved father. And I didn't regret that decision for a minute. It was incredible to spend that time with my son and to be able to do something with him that my dad had done for me growing up. It was my first time coaching Little League, and I had to figure things out on the fly. I learned about the scorebook you need as I got to the first game without one. Scheduled a first practice on Labor Day, sorry parents, and a second practice on the opening day of the NFL season, sorry football fans. I used a YouTube video for infield practice inspiration and got to the last game still trying to figure out how to encourage small people without ending every sentence with brother. It was a thing. We lost our first four games of the season and got bounced from the playoffs before the trophy ceremony, but it was the absolute best. Every boy on that team improved, gave their all, and overcame setbacks in ways that will extend far beyond the ball field. Yes, those weeks where we found ourselves on the field four days in a row between practices and games felt a little intense. And yes, it was a lot to juggle with my other kids and work. But what happened on field four of the local baseball fields was a miracle when I needed it most. At a time in my life when I was struggling with my identity, now that I was no longer a husband, feeling unmoored and trying to regain my sea legs, coaching Little League was my anchor. Coaching those kids became a catalyst for jumpstarting my courage and putting the pieces of my life back together. I know that if circumstances had been different, if I hadn't been in turmoil, I wouldn't have said yes to coaching. But with my identity in flux, I was willing to try it at a time when I needed to find new ways to create meaningful experiences with my kids. Thus, beauty was born from struggle. Coach Dave leading the Dripping Springs Rangers, fortifying a pillar of my identity as dad to these kids that in this season would inevitably lead to a dirt track for go-karts out back, working our way through the series Lost, don't tell them about the finale, and so much more. Crushing it. In the midst of this first season of coaching, another unexpected opportunity came my way. When we'd first moved from L.A. to Austin, just as I was leaving my career at Disney, I was asked to be an expert witness in a court case. I was just as surprised by the call as you may be reading these words. It turned out that a lawsuit involving a movie theater had been filed, and the defendants wanted someone with experience like mine to speak as an authority for the industry. What followed was two years of intermittent work, building my perspective on the facts of the case. 
working through depositions and reading the testimony of other witnesses, reams of information and hours of effort led to a twice postponed trial date. After weeks of prep, I was ready to take the stand, prepared to do my best to represent the depth of knowledge I had for an industry I'd been immersed in for the better part of my adult life. And I've got to say, I crushed it on the stand. Taking questions from opposing counsel, I was at my best, giving answers and articulating my points in a way that illustrated my position and brought the most confident version of myself to life. It's not lost on me that two years of delays in the trial allowed this moment to arrive at a time when I desperately needed a confidence boost. It was great to be reminded of how strong I can be in my element and how strong I would be in whatever came next. It also validated my departure from Disney. Even in the midst of this latest round of chaos, I knew I'd made the right decision. Taking the stand in my suit and tie threw me back into the midst of the movie business. It was a beautiful short-term return, but still a thing disconnected from my calling in life. It also helped remind me that my qualifications for being an expert witness were built over decades. My ability to deliver on the stand would not have been possible without the effort, failure, discomfort, growth, and time that went into building my expertise. And the reminder that my expertise had developed over time and through struggle was a promise that it could all be built again. I took the stand just after exiting the Hollis Company, trying to figure out what my next move would be. This experience gave me the courage and the confidence to walk toward effort and discomfort, to cast off into disorienting seas, even in our most difficult times, when our identity has been tested and we're struggling to redefine who we are, I wanna challenge you to do two things. Reconnect with something in your life that you can crush. This could be work-related, or it could be an activity like bowling or gardening or singing in a choir. Find an area where you excel, where you have expertise, and when life pushes back or things fall apart, use this as a way to build confidence and remember who you are. Go Marie Kondo on your life and double down on the things that bring you joy while eliminating those that don't. Invest in the relationships that give your life meaning and the passions that light you up in order to cultivate the bravery needed to face your fears. No matter what you're going through, joy is possible. Gratitude is something you can find if you look for it. Courage is something you can manufacture by connecting to your strengths and reminding yourself of how strong you have been in the past. And peace is available to you even in the midst of chaos when you stay focused on the priorities that matter most. Logbook. Journaling activity. Create two lists. First, Name all of your glass balls. What are the things you're juggling that cannot be dropped? 
Are the right things on the list? Second, name all the things you crush. How are you spending time connecting to your strengths to build the courage needed to be strong in the uncomfortable, disorienting parts of your life? Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.